Good morning. Thank you all so much for coming. I didn't introduce myself before, but my name is John, and I'm the pastor here. And I'm really excited about the series we've been in. We kicked off this year by talking about our mission as a church, what our purpose is, why we're here. And that's why the series we're in is called Church on Purpose. And so um, we started off, our mission is, is fourfold. The first thing is to know God, and we talked about that in the series. The second is to find hope, and we talked about our hope being beyond our problems and keeping our eyes up and eyes ahead. And last week we talked about how to live free, and that was a really fun one and an interesting one. And I, this is the thing about this, the concept that we talked about last week is that I didn't have nearly enough time in one message to cover the whole thing. And so I actually got a couple uh, emails and stuff from people last week that was like, hey, that was awesome, but what about... And then they had further questions, which I was like, hey, I, I knew I didn't have time to cover everything in one message anyway, so I knew there would be some things open-ended. And um, so had some really great conversations as a result of that this past week. So if you came out of last week's message with any questions about that sort of thing, I'd love to talk about it. Uh, it's my passion. It's what we do. So um, today, though, we get to the fourth part of this series. Uh, we have know God, find hope, live free, and today is do good. Right? I know we keep making the die hard joke, but the live free and die hard joke, but that would be a very short message, you know, wouldn't have to say much on that. So um, we're going to talk about how to do good. Now our whole mission comes out of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible and want to turn here real quick, we'll put it on the screen for you. But Ephesians 2.10 is the verse where this idea of doing good comes from in our mission. Last week, we uh, hit on uh, eight and nine, really, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we talked about freedom and grace last week. And uh, today, I want to look at verse 10. And we're gonna look, we're, we'll take this apart in greater detail. Let me just read it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're going to talk about that concept today. And the first thing I want to talk about is this phrase, um, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Now, I don't know what kind of pictures you might get when we read that phrase, you are his workmanship. Some of you might picture uh, like an architect drawing out a blueprint on a piece of paper, or some of you might picture a potter with a wheel and clay, and he's molding that, molding you into something. Um, I picture a, I picture a, a craftsman, a, a woodworker. That's what I picture because that's what I love to do, and I, I fancy myself a bit of a craftsman. I love working on little projects all the time. Um, I operate under the assumption: why buy, why buy it if you can build it? That's the way that I work. So Jess will be like, Jess will say, hey, we really need a bookshelf for the boys' room. We should go buy one. I'll be like, buy one? I ought to go buy a bookshelf. I can make a bookshelf. I love to make it. I'm a craftsman. And, and craftsmen, that, even that word or that concept, it marries building with artistry. They meet somewhere in the middle to make a craftsman or an artisan. And, and I think of God that way, that he has created us. Now, why would you, some of you are like, why would you, do, why would you build a bookshelf instead of buying one when you can go to Ikea and get one? You just have to assemble it. <laughs> Bad example. I know. It'd probably take you as long to assemble the Ikea bookshelf as it would to just make one from scratch, right? Uh, or maybe Walmart or wherever else you might get it from. Why would, you buy, why would you build it? Well, there's a certain satisfaction that comes in building something. There's a certain ownership that comes in building something. 
And the beauty of custom building something is that you can make it exactly like you need it to be, exactly like you want it. You can make it exactly fit that space, the exact height that you want it to be, the exact depth that you want it to be, exactly like you need it for the purpose you were creating it for in the first place. And that's the way that I think about God when we talk about him making us. God is a craftsman, and he's custom-designed every single person in this room. And he didn't custom design you for no reason whatsoever. He custom designed you for a specific purpose, just like I would, I would make a bookshelf a certain width to fit in a certain space in my house. See, when something is designed, it's always designed on purpose. And so it's curious to me, sometimes you can look at something and just based on its design, figure out what it's for without anybody ever telling you. And so I thought we would play a little game just for a minute. It's called, What in the World? Okay. Now, this is all stuff that I bought at Lowe's, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold it up, and we're just going to look at it and talk about its form, talk about its design, and we'll see if you can figure out what it's actually for, what it's designed for. Now, to be fair, let's make this game fun. So if I pull something out and you know what it is because you own one, (laughs) or because you work at Lowe's and you've seen it, you've stocked it on the shelf a hundred times, just don't say anything, okay? Let's just keep this fun. So participate if you've never seen one of these things before, but just based on its structure, see if we can figure out what it is. This is an idea I got from watching This Old House. They do this on This Old House all the time. Let's see, which one are we going to do first? Okay, we're going to go with this first. I know it's small. Those of you that are in the nosebleeds, you may not be able to see this that well. But um, So what it is, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's it's got a hole through the middle. It's kind of shaped like that, and it actually has a, uh, has a little piece that screws in on the bottom, okay? So it's green. I don't think the color matters, but, but that's it. That's all it is. It's got a little screw on the bottom like that, okay? Now, those of you that know, don't say anything, okay? But those of you that want to guess, what do you think this is for? A vacuum cleaner, an extension. It kind of looks like that, right? Like the extension on a vacuum cleaner, you put a hose on it, and you pick stuff up like that. It's not what it is. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it would work, right? Anybody else? What else do you think this might be? A loofah. So this is for cleaning in a shower? Yeah, so <laughs> I should have known, should have known I was going to get answers like this from TJ. I was kind of hoping he wouldn't be in the room. So... Uh, all right, so you'll show me later how you might use that as a loofah. Any, any other guesses? Like a pipe connection, right. So you take one pipe and, and maybe you, you put it in there and then this creates compression, like a little compression joint. That's a good idea, but that's not what it's for. All right, what's that? Some relationship to gardening. Okay, yeah, it looks like it could be a poor spout or, uh, yeah, um, something like that or um, an attachment for a hose. Jess said that when she was looking at it. All right, so I'll tell you what it is. You ready? This is a pour spout for a five-gallon bucket of paint. So you know how the five-gallon bucket of paint has that little hole in the top? Yeah, so you pop that thing out, you stick this on top, you screw that in from the bottom, and then you can pour it out. All right, <laughs> you didn't do it. <laughs> it was either a loofah or a pour spout for a paint bucket. You couldn't decide. All right, so yeah, that's what that is. Cool, all right? So I bought this, and I have no use for it. So anybody needs this, just grab me after the service. It's a one-time use thing. All right, what are we going to do next? Let's do this next. Okay, I had, to take, I had to scratch the tag off of it so you couldn't see. All right? So it's green. Again, I don't know that the color matters, but you can see it's kind of got a, uh, I don't know, it's got a, a black thing on this end, a black thing on this end, and these actually 
When you play with it, you figure out that these things right here are actually clamps. Okay, so they pop off like that. All right, and then you can open it up, and inside it looks like that. All right, so there's these kind of these rubber pieces in here, the cavity in the middle. All right, um, again, don't cheat if you know what it is, but uh, what do you think? What are the guesses? A piccolo case? Yeah, a case for a piccolo. They sell those at Walmart now, or at Lowe's now. I don't know if you realize that, but uh, yeah, they're doing, they're diving into musical instruments. Um, so a piccolo, yeah, you put a little flute in there? Yep, nope, that's not it. I'm oh, sorry, sorry. An extension cord cover, like how? Bingo. All right, Renee got it, all right? That's what it is. So you take two extension cords and you plug them together and you stick them in here and the cords come out through here and then you clamp it together and then they will never pull apart, okay? So at, <laughs> I was showing this to Jess yesterday. It's called the Cord Protect, by the way, and they have a larger version as well. Um, but uh, I was showing this to Jess yesterday. She's like, why would you ever need that? I was like, you've never put two cords together, have you? <laughs> She's like, no, okay. So you don't know they pull apart all the time. So that's what that's for, a clever little gadget. It seems like, to me, it seems like overkill for a very small problem because you can just tie the knot and plug them together. Have you done that before? All right. So anyway, but you know, how, you know how this works, right? People find a use and then they invent something for it or they find a problem and they invent something to fix it. Last one, are you ready? The last one. Okay. This is it, okay? I got this at Lowe's. I got it at Lowe's. You know what it is, don't you? You got an idea. Yeah, got it at Lowe's. So it has a top that comes off. Little cheese tray. All right, that could work. It's not what it is. All right, just got this. A little tortilla warmer, okay? This is another, I don't like that. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. All right, so it's got a little plastic base. It's not a loofah. It's also not a drum, although you can use it for that. All right? It's got that, and just goes over top. Any ideas? Ryan got it! Couldn't show you the little grill on top of here, but this is a hamburger press. Okay? And yes, I got it at Lowe's. It was in the, the grilling section. You put a lump of, of uh, uh, ground beef or ground pork or whatever you want. I, I recommend hot Italian sausage, but you can... Why would you make a hamburger out of beef if you can make it out of sausage? I don't, I don't know why you would do that. That's our theory in everything in our house, by the way. Recipe calls for hamburger, hot sausage. That's what it's going to be. All right, but yeah, you put your little lump of, of meat right there, and then you just press it down, and it actually has little, probably couldn't see it from there, but where are they? Somewhere on the side, it has a little marking. Oh, no, right here. So it's for a quarter-pound hamburger. So you press it in there, and it's a perfect patty every single time. <laughs> All right? <laughs> But it's funny how you can look at, that's, that's all I have. Surprising how few weird things there are at Lowe's anyway. Um, but the idea is that a lot of times you can look at something, you can actually figure out what based on its design, just based on its design. And the same thing is true of us. If God has handcrafted us, you and me individually, then we should be able to look at our life and figure out what he's designed us for from the design that he's created. God has created you as a specific tool for a very specific job. The prophet Jeremiah said, before I was formed in my mother's womb, you knew me, God. You appointed me as a prophet to the nation. So Jeremiah said, I, he said, I was supposed to, I know I was supposed to do this. This was, this was 
what I was in a way destined to do before I was even born. And you can almost feel that. I don't know if you've ever felt that before. But when you're doing something and there's something deep within your soul that says, this is what I was created to do. This is incredible. I can see how God has designed me to do this. And if you've never felt that before, I want to encourage you that today may be the day that you start the journey of finding what that thing is so that you can live in that level of confidence and joy and hope. All right, so I want to give you a phrase today. Basically going to take Ephesians 2.10 and paraphrase it in a simple way for you, um, and we'll grab a piece at a time. So here's the first piece of that phrase if you're taking notes. You are handcrafted by God. You are handcrafted by God. You have a certain set of passions and skills and experiences that is unlike anyone else in the entire world. And you don't have any of those things by accident. You are like a snowflake. A little snowflake. Cute little. Some of you are hoping for snowflakes today. They didn't come. <laughs> All right? You're just like a little snowflake. You know, I learned something um, interesting recently about snowflakes. At the... Uh, at the middle of every single snowflake is just a little tiny bit of bacteria. Did you know that? So bacteria gets sucked up in the atmosphere. That becomes the catalyst on which the crystals form. And so think about that the next time that you go out to catch snowflakes on your tongue. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it takes a catalyst like that to make a, a crystal. So anyway, so if we're a snowflake, at the middle of it's just a little bit of bacteria. <laughs> you know, if that's, if that's us. So, but... Um, you were custom designed for a purpose. Now, what is that purpose? God, said, or God says in the word here, it says, um, you're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, now, what does that mean? What do you mean created in Christ Jesus? Like, haven't I already been created when I was born? Wasn't I created when I was born? Well, yes. Yes, you were created when you were born, but God, if you come through Jesus Christ, God is in the process of recreating you. Of, of building something new in your life, of, of giving, bringing you to a higher level of you, in a way, as he uh, empowers you. So the way it works is that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior by faith, which you can do um, simply by looking to the cross and believing that Jesus died for your sin, that he rose again, you put your faith in that, and God will forgive you of your sin. Take your sin, the debt of your sin, off of you and put it onto Jesus Christ, and then you are forgiven. You get the righteousness of Christ, and so you never have to be afraid of God judging you or punishing you again. You know that you have a home with him. That's, we've talked about that in this series. And when you make that decision, God does something really amazing. God gives you his spirit to lead you, to guide you, and to empower you. It's the most incredible thing. In fact, when Jesus was on earth, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, hey, guys, I'm going to have to leave. And they were like, no, 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 don't go. And he said, no, it's, guys, it's better that I go, because if I go, then the Holy Spirit will come. And the only thing better Christ next to you is the Holy Spirit in you, that, that God sends his Holy Spirit to live in you and with you, and he begins transforming you and renewing you and turning you into different And one of the, he begins transforming your mind and renewing your mind and your passions and your heart and all this stuff, but one of the really amazing things that he does is when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he gives you gifts. By the grace of God, things you don't deserve, things you haven't worked for and that you haven't earned, he gives you gifts, abilities, passions, talents, things like this that you can use for good. It is 
everything else that we experience, the things that I've put together in my life, the, the skills that I've developed, the passions, the heart that I have, all of that is natural to me. What God has done in me and what he wants to do in you is put some supernatural things in you that you can use, skills you didn't have before, uh, abilities that can go far beyond what you would ever be able to do by yourself. It's like, it's like he creates, when, you're, when you accept him as your savior, it's like he creates version 2.0 of you, new and improved. And I don't mean like the new and improved Camry that just has a different bumper, a different front end. I mean like rebuilt from the ground up, redesigned to, to actually be the you he created you to be. You see, with, without him, without a relationship with him, we're like a shell of what we're supposed to be. But then when you come to him in faith, he gives you his spirit, and all of a sudden you have the, the opportunity to really be you to the fullest extent that he created you to be, and it is by his grace. And so you are handcrafted by God and individually designed, individually designed. Now, I know um, when we talk about gifts and, and talents and all this stuff, there's some people that know right what that is. I mean, you know, right out of the gate, you know exactly what that thing is because it's really prominent in your life, uh, because it's public in your life, because people have said things to you about it. Um, but some of you, when you hear that, your thought may be, I don't know what this is. I don't know what it is. Or you may have the thought, I'm not sure that I have a whole lot to offer. I mean, and we begin, it, it can be easy for us to become jealous of other people's gifts and say, well, I wish I had that. I wish I could do with what that woman can do. I wish I had, had those kind of gifts. Or I wish, like, like I like to sing, and, and I sing a little bit, but I'm jealous of TJ, okay? I'm jealous. Not going to the Lufa thing, but uh, <laughs> if you ever listen to TJ sing, the dude never misses a note, ever. His pitch is perfect all the time, always. It's it's kind of disgusting, but I only say that because I want it, <laughs> because I want to be able to sing with the kind of pitch that TJ sings with, but that's the gift that God's given to him, and he's given me a different gift, a different kind of gift, and different kinds of gifts. So we shouldn't be jealous of other people, and we should never look at the creation of God if you're looking at your and say, I have nothing to offer, because God did not create you with nothing to offer. God created you for a, with specific gifts for a specific purpose. You just have to find that thing. And it may not be what you think it is. Because when we think about the gifts God gives to us, we usually think about public and visible things. Like being able to play music or being able to speak in front of people or being extremely friendly and being able to greet or being able to organize things or whatever it may be. But there are some less visible, intangible gifts that God gives to you that you may have never thought of. Like the gift of hospitality. It's the ability to make people feel at home and feel comfortable and feel welcome. I've seen people that clearly have a supernatural ability to do that. It might be the, the, uh, the gift of encouragement. You just have the ability to look at someone and to see the good in them and to say it. I'll tell you, not everybody has that. Not the, people, <laughs> the people on our team will tell you I don't have that because I drop compliments and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where did that come from? <laughs> Didn't know you had it in you. I, well, it's the, you know I have to I have to work at that. I don't have a supernatural gift for that. But I've met people that do that say things, and it's like, oh my goodness, that's ex exactly what I needed to hear right now. These are the kind of gifts that God gives to us. All right. So what, and, and what I want to do this week, by the way, if you're not so sure about what these gifts might be. Um, if, if that's you and you want some help getting started, we have an assessment we've created here at the church to help you understand your personality and your gifts and heart and uh, all that kind of stuff. And normally we do it in the third, uh, the third course of our uh, growth track. Um, we have everybody go through that. Um, but I want to make sure, I don't, I don't see any reason to withhold that from you just to 
try and get you to come to growth track. So, uh, so if you want to do that assessment, let me know. Either write it on your connection card and drop it in one of the boxes today or um, send me an email and I'll send you a link so that you can do that assessment. It'll create a custom report for you to help you understand what your gifts might be. Like the gift of caretaking. I don't know if you ever thought about that being a gift, but the, the passion, the desire, the contentment that comes from taking care of another person's needs, that, is, that can be a spiritual gift. And so it'll help you identify some of those things. But you may think that you don't have a whole lot to offer. It's not true. Even Paul felt that way, but it wasn't true. Um, let's read in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, back up a couple chapters to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1. And uh, we will start in verse 26. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. <laughs> I can't. I, sometimes I read that and I think, wonder what they thought when they read that. You know, when this letter came from Paul and he's like, hey, think about your calling, guys. You're not that smart. Like most people wouldn't think, it, wouldn't look at you. Most people would look at you and say, yeah, that's the sharpest knife in the drawer, you know, or the stickiest tape on the roll. I don't know, whatever else phrase you might have for that. Um, I feel like this is true. I look around this room. I know it's true, guys. So just the guys, by the way. Not the ladies, you're all, you're all wonderful. So, uh, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, nor many were powerful, nor many were of noble birth. He's like, you guys, I mean, you, the people in town, okay, the people in Corinth, the rich, the elite, the, the crud, the, the teachers, the whatever, they wouldn't look at you and think that you had a whole lot to offer. That's basically what he's saying. All right, but, God. There's that phrase again. We, I think we read it last week too. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. What does that mean? He chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He said, God, God intentionally chooses people who can't. God, God chooses people who don't think they have a lot to offer. God chooses the lowly and he chooses the weak because it's through them that he shows his power. Because, because if we were the smartest people in the room and if we were the most talented people on the planet, and if we were the strongest and had all the positions, no one would give credit to God. They would just say, well, you had it all along. God chose what is lowly and what's weak so that he could show his power through it. So he could show his power through. It's like the little guy in the fight, you know? You got like the little scrappy guy and the big, huge guy. I don't know if any of you are uh, mixed martial arts fans. Um, I know you are because you put me in a triangle choke once and almost, I almost, my ministry almost ended right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, that was years ago. That was fun. Um, but I remember I watched one of the first UFCs and uh, there was this little guy that got in the ring named Hoist Gracie. I was like, who is this guy, Hoist Gracie? And he got in the ring. I don't remember who he's fighting. It was like Tank Abbott or someone big. He's fighting someone big. And he got in the ring, and he weighed, I don't know, a buck 60, buck 50, buck 60, something like that. And he got in the ring with this guy that must have been 280, 260, 280, something like that. And you just thought he was going to get annihilated. You thought he was going to get destroyed. And uh, the fight starts, and it was over in like 10 seconds. Hoist Gracie climbed on top of him, got around behind his back, used his gi, choked the guy out, and it was over. Like, like nothing. And it's, it's those moments where the little guy overpowers the big guy 
almost a David and Goliath kind of thing, if you want to think biblically about it, where you stand back and you go, how did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. Because he didn't go to the greatest school, and he didn't come from money, and he didn't come from the right side of town, and he didn't have, he didn't have all the skills and the experience and the training, but somehow he came out on top. How does that happen? The power of God is how it happens. God gives us these gifts, and he empowers us so that he can be made known, so that his glory can spread across the world. Not so ours. God doesn't give us musical talent and amplify that through his spirit so that we can be a rock star and be on stage and get a bunch of attention. He does it so that we can do good work, so that we can serve people, so that we can love people, all right? So why does he do it? So that, let's keep reading, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you're in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hey, listen, God is going to give you gifts, and he's going to use you in amazing ways, and it is okay to boast in that. It is okay to be proud of that, but don't you take a bit of the credit for yourself because it didn't come from you, and it's not for you. It's just coming through you. The, the glory and the honor and the boasting, it belongs to the Lord, all right? And he can use you even if you don't feel like you have it. Paul says, even me, ch- chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't come in to impress you with all my intelligence. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling in my speech and my message, were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and its power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God of God. All right. God has custom designed you for a purpose. He's got something he wants you to do. It is his power that will, get, that will take you to it, and, and it is his glory that should be the end result of it. And I know you're saying, well, I don't, I don't know if I got it. I don't know if I got it. You don't have it on your own. You need the power of God. So if you don't know what these gifts are, begin now praying about them and asking God to show you. Start assessing and looking at your life to see where they're already manifesting them, themselves, okay? And ask some people around you who will help to give you perspective. These are gifts. They're the grace of God. And if he's given them to us, well, we better use them. We better use them and not waste them. That's what stewardship is all about. So let's go, uh, let's go now to chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. All right, let's forward a few, a few pages here. It's going to talk about spiritual gifts. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let's start in 4, verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Okay, now listen to, listen to wording as we go through here. The, the words are very important. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to everyone is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
So we are to use these gifts for the common good and to realize that whatever I have is what God wants me to have. And he wants me to use that for the common good. And again, I want to encourage you to, um, to, to uh, request that assessment if you need some help on getting started. Um, I want you to notice something, though. There is, when we talk about gifts, there is an individual component to this and there's a group component to it. That each one of us is created unique for a purpose. But we're not supposed to use that for ourselves. We're supposed to use it for the glory of God. But he goes further here to say, the reason you were given that gift is not for your benefit or just even your relationship with God. It's for our benefit together. That, that we're supposed to use these, these gifts in tandem with each other. So some of you may say, well, I don't know how much of a gift I have or I don't know how important my gift is. And I would say, your gift is vitally important to the whole, although it's not the whole. None of us have all of the gifts. None of us have all of the gifts we need in order to be the church or the, the group that, we, that we're supposed to be. We, we are supposed to take our individuals and bring them together. We bring them all together. You'll notice um, way back, at, you know, uh, and if not back, it's, yeah, back, I guess it is back, Ephesians 2.10, he said, for we are his workmanship. He didn't say you. He said, for we are his work. That he's building us, he's crafting us together as a whole, as a body. So we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we need to walk in these things. And I love that terminology, that you find your groove, you find your thing, you find your wheelhouse, and you just live there. You say, this is what God has created me to do, and so I'm going to do it, and 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 I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. And the thing is, if we're operating in that area that God has created us for, we could do it forever and never get tired of it, <laughs> never get sick of it. We can just go and go and go and go. And then we bring all that together, and it creates this really incredible body, which is what the Scripture says, where all of the pieces work together. But we need all of the pieces working together for the body to do what it's supposed to to do. And so each of us just needs to ask the question, how am I of highest use in the body? How am I of highest use in the body? What am I great at? What, what am I passionate about? What gifts has God given me? And let me just feed into those things. You know, there's um, a couple different um, uh, thought processes when it comes to uh, improvement or self-improvement. And one idea is that you need to identify what your weaknesses are and need to work on your weaknesses so that you can bring the whole up. Another is to identify your strengths and to work on your strengths and just let your weaknesses be your weaknesses. Which one is, I don't know that one is right or wrong, but I think one is more effective than the other. Because if I look for all my weaknesses and work on those, I feel like my end result is simply going to be average. <laughs> But if I look for the areas where God has created me, gifted me, where he has poured into me and to spend my time becoming great at those things, then I can trust that he's bringing someone else who's great at the other things that I'm not good at alongside of me so that we can do this thing together. And if I'm great at what I'm doing, who I'm supposed to be, and they're great at what they're doing and what they're supposed to be, then we're great together rather than all being average. So I say find your gifts Find your gifts and develop them. Find your gifts and use them to the greatest extent that you possibly can. And there you will find not only your greatest joy, but also your greatest effectiveness. And when we do that together, then we become something really 
amazing. So you are handcrafted, here's the rest of the phrase, you are handcrafted by God, individually designed for the common good. For the common good. All right, let me read to you um, 1 Corinthians 12. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 12. I jumped. Okay. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Okay, body's got a lot of different parts, yet it's still one body. That's the way that it is with Christ. For in one spirit... See how far we're going? Okay. For we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. All right, so we're all a piece of this together. In verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head of the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. All right, I was just, my favorite example is the hand, okay? The hand and the stomach, all right? The hand cannot say to the stomach, I have no need of you, right? Because if there's no stomach, how do you digest the hamburger that the hand is holding, right? And the stomach cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, because how does the stomach get the hamburger without the hand to put it in the mouth, all right? So we need every single part of the body. And, and he says on the, the, those parts of the body that we think uh, less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our most present, more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And there may be no division in the body. And he's talking, by the way, if you want real context there, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles specifically there. Okay? He's saying we're all a part of this. Okay? But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, here's the key. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it's individual and it's corporate at the same time. You are handcrafted by God, individually designed for the common good. And I just want to ask you, this is where the rubber meets the road. I just want to ask you if you are using the gifts God has given to you for the common good. Do you know what they are? And are you using them to enhance the body of Christ? I know some of those things are easy to identify. We've talked about that, the visible stuff, the obvious stuff, a lot of the talent-based stuff, I suppose is easier to see than the passion and the character stuff. And I just want to ask you again if you know what that gift is and if you're using it for the body. And it may not be, I, it's not, I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and ask you to be on one of our teams here necessarily. Maybe that's it. 
But, but your gift may not fit perfectly with a band or production or greeting people or the kids uh, program or anything like that. It might be something else altogether, and it might, it, it find, it might find its expression in a different way. I want to tell you about a guy whose ministry had a tremendous impact on me. All right, his name is Billy. And um, Billy, I met Billy, when I was in, uh, met Billy when I was in Myrtle Beach. And Billy was a, um, he's a peculiar guy, okay? When you met him, he was incredibly soft-spoken and uh, diminutive. He would, he would, when you talked to him, he wouldn't say a whole lot, and he would, he would kind of look at you but then divert his eyes. He didn't, didn't like making eye contact. Um, he wasn't very, very social or anything like that. Um, he was, <clears throat> I'll peg him at right around 60, and he had uh, he'd, uh, struggled with alcoholism all of his life. And so that had, that had taken a tremendous toll on his life in just about every way. He'd lost his family, so he was on his own. He, um, he had recovered, uh, he was in recovery for his alcoholism, but it wasn't easy for him, uh, particularly living in a place like where we lived. And, uh, and it had taken a physical toll on his body. He couldn't stand for very long. He couldn't uh, do physical things. He was in and out of the hospital a lot. And the thing about Billy is that if you just looked at him and you judged him by a world standard, you would say that Billy didn't have much to offer. And he couldn't, uh, he couldn't do any of the stuff, like the ministry teams that we had with the church. He he, he was too uncomfortable to greet people. He couldn't stand for a long time, couldn't do parking. He couldn't play an instrument so he wouldn't be on stage. He never wanted to speak in front of groups of people, let alone most often one person. Uh, so he wasn't going to teach or anything like that. He just didn't fit into any of those things. He couldn't um, serve in children's ministry because of his past. But if you looked at him from an outside perspective or even from a ministry perspective, you might say, I don't know what this guy has to offer. He didn't have any money, nothing like that. So here's what Billy decided that his ministry was going to be. Because what Billy had, he had a supernatural ability to hear from God like nobody I've ever met before. And I don't know if it's because the time that he spent alone, the time he spent in solitude, maybe that had something to do with it. Um, Maybe it's because of what he'd been through in his life. I don't know. but, But Billy had a unique ability to hear from God, and he loved to paint. Now, he wasn't very good. <laughs> and so what Billy did is he would sit down in front of a canvas and he would pray and ask God to show him something. And then he would paint it. And when he was done painting it, then he would pray and he would say, God, who is this for? And God would show him, you know, he would, get in, he would picture someone or think of someone or whatever. He would say, okay, it's for them. And then he would say, God, will you tell me what this means? Sometimes God would tell him, sometimes God wouldn't, but that's what he would pray. And I'll never forget one Sunday, I got up in front of the church and I shared with them a dream I had. And it was a very specific dream. I'm not a mystical person by any stretch. I'm very pragmatic. And so I don't, you know, the mystical dream and stuff and all that kind of thing, yeah, that normally doesn't grab me. Um, but for some reason, this, I couldn't shake this dream. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And that never happens to me. And so I said, this must be something. So, um, so I shared that with it. I took a risk and I shared that with the church, risking that they would think I was weird. Um, I thought, that's okay. That ship's probably already sailed anyway. Um, 
So I shared that with the church, and Billy ran up to me after the service, totally unlike him. He ran up to me after the service, and he said, I got to show you something. I got to go home. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> I hope you're back before I leave, because lunch is calling, my friend. <laughs> you know? So uh, Billy runs back. R- Billy runs back into the building, and he runs up, and he hands me a canvas. And I flip it over, and I kid you not, it was a painting of my dream. Almost exactly. And for a guy who's super practical and super pragmatic and not, you know, very skeptical about mystical things or whatever like that, I couldn't deny that that was a picture of my dream. And he said, I didn't, God didn't tell me who this was for. And I know now, so this is for you. So he gave that to me. All right. I I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And that was, that was the, the moment I think with me and Billy where I realized that there's a supernatural gift that's happening with this guy. And even though I might in my, uh, my sort of emotional coldness, if you will, want to downplay things like this, I can't get away from this one. That's too much. One day, um, Billy came up to me after the service, and he said, I have something I want to show you. I said, okay. Then he walked out to his car, and he came back in, and he had another painting. And this time it was this one. All right, and I, I looked at it at first, and I said, dude, what is that? <laughs> you know, it just kind of looks like some weird, trippy, outer space type of painting. And I said, what, what is it? He said, um, he said, I painted this, and God told me it was for you. I, okay. I'm thinking, I don't have anywhere to put that where <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not the color scheme of my living room, you know? Um, and I said, I said, do you know, and this, I always ask this question anytime he would bring a painting or anything like that. I would say, do you know anything about it? Because sometimes he would say yes, and sometimes he would say no. I said, do you know anything about it? And he said, I know a little bit. I said, all right, so, I said, what is, he said, this is a painting, um, this is a painting that's for you, and it's about the church. Okay, all right. Um, I was at a church at the time that had uh, eight locations. I was a campus pastor of one of those locations. And um, I said, okay, let's start here. I mean, I said, what is this up here? He said, he said that's the church. I said, well, what is that? He said, it's the church. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes I, knew, I knew Billy was being honest with me because he just wouldn't give me details. And like if he was making it up, he would have given me the details on. He's like, it's just the church. I said, Okay. And I started looking around. I said, I said, there's stars. There's start one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight stars that have a highlighting around them, colored highlighting around them. I said, what's that? He said, those are the churches. I said, you mean campuses? He said, no, those are the churches. I said, okay. Um, little did I know at the time that that church was going to turn from one church into eight churches. I said, okay. I said, so where am I? Am I up here? Like I thought maybe I'm this little like swoosh of like white and pink. Like maybe I'm the pink swoosh up here. So I, was, I said, where am I? He said, no, 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 you're not up there. He said, you're down here. You're this line down here. I was, I said, okay, that's weird. What's this then? This gray thing. He said, that's a bridge. I said, what's that? He said, it's it's a bridge. <laughs> he dig for detail, and get nothing. I said, what's all this right here then? He said, that's trouble. Trouble? 
He said, I said, he said, yeah. I said, does that mean I have to go through all that? He said, no. He said, because this is a ladder. I said, okay, so you're saying I'm going to have to cross the bridge, I'm going to have to go through the trouble and then climb a ladder. And he said, yeah, I think. And uh, he said, when you get to the top of the ladder, it will be the top of the mountain. And that's what you kind of, if you can see it up close, it's clearly what that is. I said, so what you're telling me is that I have to cross the bridge, I have to go through trouble, and then I have to climb a ladder, and then I'll be at a mountain. He said, yeah. I said, what does that mean? He said, I don't know. <laughs> so I said, okay. But, but I put stock in what this guy tells me because of the experiences that I've had with him in the past, and I believe that he has a gift from God that I don't, I don't get because like, I, I don't have it, but he has it. So, so if he's the ear and if I'm the nose, then I need to let him be the ear. And I need to appreciate him for being the ear, even though I'm the nose, you know? And um, so I kept this painting, and I put it in my office in a discreet spot. <laughs> and then I was able to clearly see how I went over a bridge, through trouble, up a ladder, and in a mountain. I know what each one of these things are now. And who knows? I don't know, I don't know if... I don't know if God was showing him exactly what was going to happen to me, and he dumbed it down for the painting. I don't know if he had no clue. I don't know if, if, if any of that was, if it was just God was just wanted to use something like this in order to get me to have hope and to believe that there's a mountain out ahead. I don't know why God used this or why he chose this method or how he used it or how he used Billy or how all that works. All I know is that Billy believed that God had given him a gift. He leaned into it. He was faithful to it. And then as I walked through the things that I walked through, I kept looking at this painting and saying, I'm going through the trouble, but there's a ladder coming. You know? So take that for what it was. It was encouraging to me. And it helped me in, in many other things, many other gifts that people used helped me through a very difficult season in my life and in my ministry. But I don't know what your gift might be. It might not fit into the box of the church organization and what we create and create opportunities. It might be painting. It might be praying and writing people letters. It might be, it might be calling people on the phone. It might be, it might be baking people bread because you love to cook and to encourage them when they're hurting. It might be, it might be counseling people through grief or through the end of their life. It might be helping people who are struggling with postpartum depression. I don't know what, what the gift God has given to you is, but he does not want you to waste it. He has handcrafted you, individually designed for the common good. I don't know what your painting is, but if you don't know what it is, it's time to find it. So what I want to do is I want to pray I want to pray for you and with you that God would help all of us to see how he's designed us so that we can be of our highest use to him and to the common good of the church. All right, let's pray together. God, we come to you and um, thank you for your love. Thank you that through faith in our Savior Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sin. Thank you that through his resurrection, we have confidence in your power. Thank you through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have confidence of our salvation. God, I pray uh, that if there's anyone with us today who's never taken the first step of admitting their sin and turning in faith to you, Jesus, that they would do that right now. If that's you in the room and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, 
You've never asked forgiveness of your sin, but you know that there's something between you and God. That is the sin that creates a barrier. But today, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin on the cross, that he rose again, you can accept him by faith. And you become his child, and he sends his Holy Spirit to you and helps you to not only become who he designed you to be, but to be the best version of you that he created you to be. You accept Jesus Christ by faith right now. Ask him for forgiveness. He'll save you. And as we go through life now, now we are reborn. We are being recreated. We're being designed and pointed towards your purpose for our life, God. I ask specifically that you give us clarity to help us see how you've designed us and where our giftedness is and where our passion is so that we can lean into it for the rest of our life, so we can find that groove, we can find that spot, we can find that thing, and we can do it all day, every day, to experience what you've created for us and to be of the most good to, to the church. God, I pray that you would give us clarity. And as we do that, as we pursue you, we not only become like, like you designed us to be, but in the process, we become more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's a goal for our life, that we may know you, that we may find hope, that we may live free, and God, that through your power, we may do good. For the sake of those around us, but also to please you, God, and we know that you reward the work that we do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.